Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We've been speaking for the past few weeks on sowing and reaping. I'm going to continue. There's so many thoughts in my mind relative to this. And uh, every time I try and resolve this particular segment in the Kingdom Economic Series, the Lord just seems to be adding new things to my thinking as we go along. And I think this now is part three or part four, I'm not sure. Uh, part three in the sowing and reaping um, segment of Kingdom Economics. And uh, we've spoken variously about the importance of sowing and reaping. And we said it's all-encompassing. Uh, it's all-inclusive. Galatians 6 and verse 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatever. Everyone say whatever. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Tell your neighbor, whatever is a seed. What is a seed? Whatever. So whatever you sow, that you will also reap. The whole seed principle is all-inclusive. It's not just financial. Your deeds, your thoughts, your acts, your activities, your priorities, um, your, the devotions, the things you devote your time and your energies to. Whatever is a seed. And two or three weeks from now, I will go through a list of whatevers. Show you biblically that in reference to a particular thing, if you do it, there's a commensurate associated result to that thing. But we'll get there. But before we get there, I need to just lay out a few more principles relative to this. Last week, the Lord caused us to focus on this principle that the obedience to... A principle must not be so much because of your confidence in the principle as much as it must be confidence in the principality who established the principle. So it's not faith in the principle, it's faith in God who gave the principle. We said that all principalities, and God is a principality, Jesus is a principality, the enemy has principalities and powers, over which we are seated in Christ for above principalities and powers. For them to get their agenda done, they require men to obey principles that fuel or aid their wicked agenda. So too does God. He is a power, He is a principality, dependent upon principles in the earth if which men obey. God responds to men's obedience to principles that he as a principality has established. When you obey the principle established by the principality, you release the power of the principality to empower the principle to work on your behalf, particularly when you are a son of God. Okay? So we have faith in God, not faith in the principle. We believe the principle and we obey the principle. But we don't see the principle as a formula to get our needs met. The birds do not sow and reap. Not so? 
Jesus said, look at the birds. They don't practice sowing and reaping, yet your father. Everyone say father. So, yes, we're unlikened birds. We're unlike birds. We are sons of God. And um, we were our sons when we practice a principle. Always practice a principle not in hope of the principle, but in trust of the God who gave the principle. Your, in fact, your, obey, your obedience to the principle is an expression of how much you trust God. But your eye is not on the principle. Your eye is always on the God who, who gave the principle. Okay? So it is very, very important for you to understand. For fear that people will look at sowing and reaping with covetousness or with greed and abuse what is authentic in God for your own personal uh, greed. Right? And not to fulfill your need. So we, we, we said a whole lot of things last week, which I don't want to go into, but that for me was the primary principle from last week. We are, I obey the principle, I obey God's law, I obey God's word, so that the God who established the principle could be activated to work in my life. He is in rest right now. He's in a seventh-day position called rest. God is not working. He has been resting since he completed day six of creation. He went into a phase called the, the rest of God. But how does he then work in the earth? He works in the earth still today, even though he's in the position called rest. He works by his installation into the earth of certain principles which, when obeyed, get certain results. So if I drop this mic, it'll fall to the ground. Why the law of gravity has been established by God in the earth that this will always happen. Okay, he's not getting off his throne right now to ensure the mic goes to the ground and not to the ceiling. Remember I said this to you? Right? He's in absolute repose. Let the man drop the mic. Right? I'm not going to get off my throne to ensure a certain result. He's going to activate a law which is attendant with the earth. I will work, I will manage things. The Bible says he upholds all things, Hebrews 1 and verse 3. He upholds all things how? By the word of his power. Do you know creation is being upheld even right now? By the word, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Is God holding all things by the word of his power? Yes. The word of his power is principles in his word by which things function. When you, when you observe the principle, the thing should function well. You break the principle, you break the order of God's upholding of all things. So when the man malfunctions, when Adam disconnects from God, when Adam disobeys, what happens to the earth? It goes into a cosmic groan. The Bible says the earth was subject to futility. The earth did not sin, trees did not sin. But you know what? Trees are waiting for their redemption. We haven't an idea of how the earth should look. What we see is beautiful, but what we see is the result of the fallenness of man. Even the earth is waiting for the what? What is the earth waiting for according to Romans 8? The manifestation of the sons of God. So Adam is put in a garden. When Adam sins, the garden malfunctions and brings forth thorns as a result. Thorns were not part of the original design. Hmm? And so, don't fix the garden. Fix the man. Because if the man gets fixed, the garden heals itself. 
Because creation is part of a continuum. Creation is part of the actual creation was made for man to rule over. So I want to encourage you, every time you obey a principle in God, it's part of God's restorative process to restore all things in Christ. And I want to encourage you. The Bible says, let me just, this thought just hits me now. Jesus is the head of the body, not so? Head of the church, right? But Colossians says he's not just the head of the church. He's the head of all things, right? And God made him, it says, to be the head of all things to the church, his body in the earth. And it says he's not just reconciling the sons of God to himself. It says he's going to reconcile all things. All things in creation in Christ are going to come back to their original order. But do you know that all things are basically waiting for man to get his act together first? Because when, when the, the glory of God is restored to the sons of God, then the glory of God will be restored to the earth of God. And to all creative order. It will come back to its original design. So I want to encourage you that every time you enact a principle, you're obeying something in God, in His Word, that is part of a restorative process to reconcile and restore all things in Christ Jesus. So we said, I think, at the, early, the earliest part, the opening um, of, this, of this whole um, little segment in kingdom economics, this issue of sowing and reaping, that so long as the earth remains, according to Genesis 8.22, there will always be what? Day and night, summer and winter, sea time and harvest. If there is something called a remaining earth. Everyone say a remaining earth. So if the earth remains, so long you can put your head on the block, so long as there's an earth, there will always be something called sea time harvest. I said this will not apply in the new earth in Revelation 21 because there there will be no need for the sun. And there the Lord God will be its light. But so long as you're in this earth, there's something by which you can be part of. It's called a cycle. It's called a circle. It's called a pattern. It's called a predictive pathway of things working themselves out that you as a son must understand if you are to be successful in this life. So I said to you, the seed principle is described and applied variously. For example, there are natural seeds. Some plants have seeds, fruit have seeds. And uh, remember I said this to you, that he gives, just go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm all over the place today, but I think it's the Lord. And verse 10, when God made plants and trees yielding fruit with seed. That's Genesis 1. He made the plants with seed and trees yielding fruit with seed. So when the tree heals the fruit, eat the fruit but not the seed because the seed in the fruit is designed for the perpetuity of the tree that gave rise to the fruit. It's very important for you to understand. When a tree heals fruit, Take the fruit, eat the fruit, not the seed, because the seed gives rise to further trees, which then will yield further fruit, yielding seed. And so this thing perpetuates itself. And I said to you, every time money hits your hand, see fruit. Tell you never see fruit, but see fruit, yielding seed. 
so you don't eat all your fruits. You eat some, but you, you sow some. He who eats all his seed negates his future harvest. Okay? There's no future harvest for him that eats all his seed. And Paul, Paul said it like this. Similarly, he who supplies what to the sower? Come on, what does God supply to the sower? Seed and bread. So the Genesis 1 account speaks about seed and fruit. In every fruit there is seed. Eat the fruit, sow the seed. Paul uses a similar comparison, but he speaks of bread and seed. God, he is God there. God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Will supply and multiply what? It's amazing. It doesn't say multiply your bread. He says you're going to multiply your seed because he knows in the seed is more bread. He gives both. Watch. He gives both. Repeat after me. He gives both. He gives seed to the sower and bread for food. And he multiplies what? He doesn't multiply the bread. He multiplies the seed because he knows he who is wise with the multiplied seed will have harvests of new bread. Right? And I'm trusting God. Uh, say this with me and let this revelation sink into you. Just say, Lord, multiply seed. Right? But when God gives you seed, you'll give it in fruit, in which is seed. You must be wise what to eat and what to sow. Don't eat it all. Sow something. He who is not sowing now will not reap later. He who is perpetually sowing now will reap perpetually later. No matter how anointed you are, how graced you are, how gifted you are, if you neglect the principle of sowing and reaping, you will negate your future harvests. It's a wise thing to master sowing. Listen carefully. I want this church to be strong in sowing. I'm saying this to you again. It's a wise thing to master financial sowing. In the face of glaring needs that you have, and you want to use the entirety of your bread portion or your fruit portion, and you want to consume it all to satisfy your need. But you say, no, I will not use it all to satisfy my need because I will use summer seed to take care of future harvest. Now listen carefully. Here's the principle. When you're faithful with little seed, God sees that. If you're faithful with little sowing, God sees that. And God says, I'm going to multiply something in you. I'll multiply not your bread. I'm going to multiply your capacity to sow more. I believe one area of developmental growth spiritually should be, how are you increasing in your seed sowing? Because this scripture says there should be a multiplication in reference to the whole idea of your capacity to sow, your capacity to release. I believe every year um, we should be growing incrementally in what we give, in what we sow. It should be, should be incrementally increasing. So Paul says it, he supplies seed to the sower, and um, I know God's going to do this profoundly. God's going to give us more seed to sow. Bread for food. You will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your, of your righteousness. 
Righteousness is compliance of you to a divine standard in God. It's when your life lines up with heaven's expectation. You are right or you are righteous before Him. Giving financially is part of an established righteousness. It gives testimony to your internal rectitude, your internal state of, of righteousness. Remember the Bible says, Abel gave a more excellent offering than, than Abel, and he had this testimony that he was righteous. Definitely the giving of our substance depicts, it depicts and evidences our righteous standing God. When I give, I am saying, God, I want to be compliant with your financial order. I want to be compliant with, with your financial principles or your financial will as reflected in the scriptures. Next verse quickly. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. The word there is um, generosity. Through us, which is producing thanksgiving to God. Now, go to the verse that Mark shared, Luke chapter 8, chapter 6, sorry, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Come on, are you ready? Are you going to trust God that God's going to supply you with more seed? Yeah. A lot of the times we pray, God, give me the bread, <laughs> give me the fruit. I'm changing my prayer. Now, God, give me the capacity to sow more because in that is my breakthrough, right? Trust God for your seed sowing capacity. Everyone say seed sowing capacity. My seed sowing capacity is going to increase. I declare that by faith. I declare that over you by faith. Your seed sowing capacity is going to, to escalate, okay? And who supplies seed? God supplies seed to the sower, okay? Um, let's just read the context from verse 35. Let's go from verse 35. Love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Euios here, mature. This word for sons is the Greek word. Euios means the most mature son. There are five different Greek words in the New Testament all translated son, but depicts certain stages of development from an infant, which is nepios, the Greek word nepios. Then is Pidon, a young man, or a young, not young man, young child of 12 years old. Jesus was a Pidon when he went into the temple conversing with doctors of the law, and his mother found him. 12 years old, remember? Right? Nepios, Pidon, and then there's technon, right? A technon. Um, and then there's Nianiskos, which is a young man, a young man. Uh, I write unto you, young men, Nianiskos, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Then there's Uios, which is the mature man, mature son, and there are various yardsticks of maturity. Uh, I've got a whole study in this is on my website. It's a little document, a little manual. We've discussed that there are audios available to that. But I'm saying this because, yeah, who is God talking about? What kind of son? Come on, say mature. This is the expectation, not of a young kid, not of a new believer. You claim to be mature in God, you should be doing this. Watch. What, you should, what should you be doing as, as an indication of your maturity? It says, love your, love your enemies, do good. Then, everyone say lend. Right? Many people don't want to lend. 
Lending implies a giving out, right? A giving out. Expecting nothing in return. So remember I said to you, when you sow, it's not with the, expe- it's not with the motivation of reaping. We sow with the motivation of love. But because we've sown, we've activated a process which is inevitable that we are going to reap. Right? This scripture corroborates that. It says, lend expecting nothing in return. What prompted it? Say love. So love prompted it and the expectation, there's no expectation. Love motivated it. And your reward will be great. So is there reward? Was it the motivation? No, but will it happen? Yes. Do you reap to sow or do you sow to reap? No. You sow because of an expression of love for the other, love for God, love for His servants, love for His work. You activate the process. But will you reap? Come on, talk to me. Will you reap? Although your motivation was love, but you enacted a process, the result of which inevitably will come to you. Just like you can predict day and night, summer and winter, it says in Genesis 8.22. Then you can predict sea time and harvest. It will come to you. Everyone say, our reward is at hand. I will share with you why I believe this so strongly in a moment. Say it with me again. Our reward is at hand. I declare to you, your reward is at hand. Don't give up. Not now. Come so far. Don't, don't, don't fail now. Right? Not now, because God says, you've acted so graciously, so consistently, so, so lavishly as an expression of your love. Great is your reward. The Lord says, your reward is at, at hand. And you will be Uweos. This is the only time in the whole Bible you get this phrase in reference to man. You'll be sons of the Most High. Most UWR's references for sons will say, like, look for a son of peace in the city. The descriptor, like, of peace, tells you what the son is. He's a peaceful, he's a peaceful son. When Thessalonians it says you'll be sons of the day, or the light, UWR's of the day, it means the son is filled with day, with light, or illumination, or, or revelation. So whatever the descriptor is, son of the descriptor becomes depictive of the son. Only place in the Bible where it says this of the Uios, he's son of, I don't even know what this phrase means, to be honest. I can understand son of peace, all, but son of the most high, highest elevations in God. Everyone do this, most high. There's a most high, he becomes a son of that dimension. But the Son is able to achieve the highest elevations of the expressions of divinity. When He loves an enemy, lends, gives with, with the correct motivation of love, expecting nothing, no ulterior motive. Please, I really want to encourage you. Get to deal with this issue of giving with the wrong agenda. There's still too much of that. Give as a motivation of pure love. Don't give to... Make a name for yourself. Give with humility. Give to honor God. Amen? You'll be sons of the Most High. And watch, the Bible says, for even God Himself is kind to, the un- to ungrateful and 
evil men. Some of you are saying, I'm just going to stop sowing there because he's ungrateful. Well, check this verse out. Hmm? When God says rain on the earth, does he say, okay, only on the sons of God? So wherever you go, it's raining. <laughs> God says, no, everyone gets blessed one time. Right? So I want to encourage you, the ungrateful or ingratitude disposition of someone is no reason to stop sowing. God is even kind to them. This is not for the immature. What are we talking about here? Everyone say mature. Mature sons, right? And then it says, verse 36. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Next verse. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. What is this saying to you? This is saying to you, you determine, you determine how men and God react to you. It's in your control. Now, people, please get a revelation of this. People, if you are complaining, no one is befriending me. I got no friends. My simple answer to you is, have you sown friendship? Because if you sow friendship, that is exactly what you will reap, right? Um, no one encourages me. Well, just start by encouraging somebody. I guarantee you, whatever. Everyone say whatever. I remind you, whatever is a seed. Whatever you sow, it's going to come back to you one way or another. No one's supporting my vision. Well, are you supporting somebody else's vision? Whatever you sow, you will. You will. You will reap, Okay. Whatever you sow, you will reap. I always say, every man has the wife he deserves. Why? What did God say to Adam? Tend the garden. Subdue the earth. And subdue is not dominance over. The word is to bring the best out of. To make the thing flourish. To blossom. Bring it to maximum productivity. I'm Renee's husband. I subdue her. Not, now, if you've got a wrong mind, this is not domination or control. The whole idea of Adam is bring the best out of her. Bring her to maximum blooming. Right? Maximum product, productivity. And the Bible says a man must love his wife as Christ loves the church. So how did he love the church? The Bible says he, he sanctified her and he, washed, he washes her with the washing of water by the, the word of of God. So ought men to love their own wives. Not another man's wife, your own wife. So ought men to love their, their, their own wives. So this is my field and I am the sower. Whatever I sow into this field, I get back as a harvest. So I have the wife I deserve based upon how I treat her. She is symptomatic. What? She is the result of my harvesting. She is the result of my sowing, Lord. She is the result of how I've, the Bible says, he washes her, he sanctifies her by the word of God. So what? So that he will present to himself a church having no spot, no, no wrinkle, no blemish or any such thing. Question, is the church his bride? Yes? Is the church his bride? So he says, I will present to myself a bride with no spot. How? By the process of continuous washing of her 
with the replenishment of the water by the, the word of God. He has, he, God has the bride he deserves by his investment of the word and the washing of the water of the word into his bride. Similarly too in marriage. So I want all the men, all the married men, say hello. Pick your hand up, say how's it? Come on, all the married men. Don't, now is not the time not to be married, please, if you're married. <laughs> all the married men. I want to encourage you, invest in your wife. So, goodness, kind words, time. You know, one of the best things, um, my wife, I'm not thankful, is not a demanding wife. Right? For Renee, 10 minutes of quality time means the world to her. With no phones, <laughs> no laptops, undistracted, undivided attention. That's a seed. That's my seed for which I will draw a harvest. This verse is saying, watch, you deserve what you have based upon how you've invested. Let me just say this to you. If you are unmerciful, don't expect mercy in the time of your failure. If you are consistently judging, don't expect pardon when you need it. And then the Bible says immediately after this, what does it say? Give. And it will be given to you, they, men, will pour into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And he continues the thought, the writer, for with the standard of measure, it will be measured back to you in return. There's no mention of money in this verse. The context of these verses is relationships. How you deal with enemies. How you deal mercifully with people. Your capacity to, to pardon. No mention of money is made here. And very little of money is made in Genesis, Galatians chapter 6 also. Just put it up quickly. Watch, I'm going get to get to a point. Listen carefully. Galatians chapter 6. Read from verse 1 just for the sake of. Watch, look at this carefully. Brethren, if anyone is caught in trespass you are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness each one looks to yourself so that you will not be tempted bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of christ if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself each one must examine his own work and he will have a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all things with the one who teaches him. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Carry on. For the one sows of his own, if one sows to his own flesh, will from his flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. No mention of money, right? Come on, talk to No mention of money, right? No mention of money in Luke chapter 6, right? Both contexts. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given to you. For uh, will men give him to your bosom, pressed down, shaken together, running over, etc. Both verses are often used in reference to financial sowing and reaping, yet the speakers fail to consider the context. 
The context is how you deal relationally with people. Now, that's a preview of a forthcoming attraction. I'm going to deal with that soon. Take about two or three sessions. And I will, I will prove to you, brethren, no matter what you are sowing financially, if you're sowing and practicing the principle of financial sowing and reaping, but relationally you are failing, relational failure not to observe God's principles of pardon, it shall be pardoned, and you shall be merciful, forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Bear one another's burdens. It cancels the power of your seed. That's why Jesus said, if you come to the altar with your offering, and you remember what? My brother has an offense against me. What must I do? Carry an offering? No, stop the flowing. But don't leave the altar with the seed. What does it say? Leave, in case you use it while you're going. It says leave your, leave your offering at the altar and do what first? Go make right with your brotherly rightness like after I put the, the relationship right with my brother I come back to my seed my financial seed sowing is given impetus gains power from the context of reconciled brotherly relationships so what Jesus said to the Pharisees you tithe herbs mint cumin and rue all herbs but you neglect what Everyone say, weightier matters. Weightier matters of the law. And what examples did he use? Mercy, justice, and the love of God. What are those three? Relational dynamics. He says, you are so strong on that. You are weak on this. And what did he say? This mercy, Lord, justice, and the love of God, you ought to have done without leaving the offering of the tithe undone. Now, like, I'm so tempted to go into this right now. Help me, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Listen carefully. I want to demonstrate to you later, because I love to demonstrate this using case studies in the Bible. Right? I will show you seed becomes powerless when the sower operates from the context of broken, relationships or tense relationships you are not honoring for example your spiritual father in the lord even mentally but you want to sow seed doesn't work doesn't work can't say pat on the back i've been faithful i've been sowing the tithe sowing the offering even observing the first fruit which should be an expression of honor but if in your internal disposition there's no respect no honor you just cancel the power attendant with the with the seed, right? Now, for example, if you go to, go back to Luke 6.38. Let me just say this for qualification and for balance. While Galatians 6 and Luke 6 do not refer to money, based upon this principle that, because they refer to uh, cause and effect conditions, if you pardon, you will be pardoned. If you are merciful, you will be. You will receive mercy. We can extrapolate the principle to finance. 
although the context doesn't refer to finance. Based upon the contextual principle of hermeneutics, hermeneutics is the science of studying and interpreting scripture. Big word, everyone say hermeneutics. Many of us know it, some youngsters don't know it. Hermeneutics is a theological word, the science of how to interpret the Bible. Based upon hermeneutics, all scripture has one accurate interpretation based on context, but many applications. Right? This is the holy, widespread, widely believed principle. One valid interpretation based on context, but could be variously applied. So contextually, yes, those two passages deal not with money, but with relationships. But we can take the principle and apply it to other similar conditions where there is a cause and effect process like sowing and, and reaping. Okay? So, for example, we said that we not say Christ is a seed. John 12, 24, unless a, a seed of wheat fall to the ground and does what? And dies, it abides alone, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Is that talking about money? No. Who is it talking about? Come on. Come on. Who is that talking about? About Christ. He was the seed and just quickly, Galatians 3.16, does not the Bible say that Christ is a seed? How is, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Who is the seed of Abraham? He does not say, and seeds, plural. God did not say to Abraham and your seeds will be blessed. Right? God said, Abraham and your seed. And Paul had a revelation. I mean, if you were in the Old Testament... And God is talking to Abraham, Abraham, the father of many nations, you and your seed will be blessed. If you don't have revelation, you're going to be thinking he's talking about the Jews. But Paul in the New Testament, hundreds of years, Paul says he does not say seeds. And he got that by revelation. God was talking about Christ. When God said to Abraham, you and your Seed. He did not say seeds, Paul says, but referring, to, not seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. And that seed is Christ. Is Christ a seed? Yes. So Jesus said, unless, he by revelation says, unless this seed, me, the seed of Abraham, Christ, unless I fall to the ground, I will always be alone. But if I fall and die, I will go. Put it back up. John 12, 24. If I fall and die, right? It does what? It will bear much fruit. Question. What is the much fruit that he spoke of here? Us. Now you are the sons. The harvest of sons that came from the initial seed that, that died. If you therefore are a son... As he is, so are you. Therefore, are you a seed too? Question, are you a seed? How do you know? Because you're like him. If you want more biblical proof, proof in Matthew 13. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? In the first parable, the farmer went out to sow seed. And the seed fell on four different types of soil. Remember? What was the seed? The seed was the, the word of God. What was the soil? Four different types of soil. 
the states of the heart. Remember on the good ground, the seed fell on good soil. He who hears, Jesus said, and understands. That's interpretation. Good soil. He who hears and understands, bears forth fruit 30, 60, and some even a hundredfold. If you carry on reading, don't stop. Carry on reading down the, the, to another parable. And he spake another parable. It says, now a farmer went out to sow seed, but the enemy came and sowed tares or weeds among the wheat. The wheat was the good seed. The weeds were sown amongst the wheat, the tares amongst the wheat. And they both grew to, together. And the farmer says, oh, I must take out the bad weed. The harvest that the Lord said, no, leave it until the time of harvest. Because at the time of harvest, you can distinguish them now. Weeds are indistinguishable from wheat while they grow. Even in modern day agriculture. You can't distinguish the weed from the wheat. They are only distinguishable at harvest. Because the weed brings forth the kernel fruit in the head. The grain which becomes a single stalk of wheat, it's a single strand, a stalk, bearing a heavy kernel of wheat. So what does it do? It drops because the weight of that thing bends the plant. But the weed stands up. So when fruit comes, you can easily first take out the weed. And the Bible says the weeds are taken out first and they are burned. And then they come and gather the, the wheat into a, a barn. Now what interpretation of the parable? Jesus said, here's the interpretation. Like interpret, interpret the first parable of the sow and the seed, he says, now the field is the world. Jesus said that. It's not, not the heart. The field is the world. The good seed are sons of the kingdom. Bad seeds, the weeds, are sons of the evil one. Just, there's a whole lesson. This is a powerful parable. I want to encourage you, when you bear fruit, remain humble. When you bear fruit, <laughs> that's how the weed, you bear fruit, don't stand up in pride and erect and say, no, no, no. That's a position of sons of the evil one. My point being, the seed in the first parable was the word. The seed is the, the word of God. The seed in the second parable is the what? The son of the kingdom. He's not a son of a spiritual father. He's a son of the kingdom. And they will shine in the kingdom of their father, it says later on. So tell your neighbor, you two are seed. So you must live in the culture of, watch, sowing sacrificially, even to death to yourself, death to your own inclinations. So we can, my point being, you can take the principle, unless a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears fruit. Nothing about finances, but you can take the principle of that thing and attach it to understand financial sowing and, and reaping. Your seed in your hand must die. You must die to using it <laughs> by sowing it. As so long as it's in your hand, it remains alone. Now, how many want your seed to remain alone? No, you don't want it, right? The seed must have a 
harvest. But the moment you sow it, you've activated a multiplication process. Okay? So it's, it's a principle relative to Christ, but you're applying it financially. Scripture has one interpretation, but many applications. Many different ways of, of seeing it. Now go back to Luke 6.38. What does it say? Put the New King James, Old King James. Just quickly. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together. Running over. Will be put into your bosom. The King James, Old King James says, Will men give into your bosom. Right? Doesn't it say? Shall men. Say men. Shall men give into your bosom. The same standard. Now he's carrying on the thought. Same standard. That you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, the bosom, everyone say bosom. The Greek word is kolpos. If you refer to someone's bosom, strictly speaking, everyone do this. The bosom is a place between the arms. It's here. So men give into your bosom. The word is used symbolically, listen carefully, to mean intimacy, oneness, contentment, and blessedness. It's the son who is in the bosom of the father who knows the father, according to John 1.18. Remember? The son in the bosom of the father has explained him, brings him out. Where was John's head all the time? It says on Jesus' bosom, the place between his arms. Every time this word is used, it always denotes intimacy, oneness, uh, endearment, closeness and proximity of, of relationship. It's a place of security and safety. Remember Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. The symbolic application of this word. It's always a place of, of intimacy. Right? Men shall give into your bosom. So watch. Listen carefully. Doesn't just this fit with the contextual interpretation of this passage, which has been speaking about relationships. If you are merciful, you'll receive mercy. You pardon, you'll be pardoned. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Whatever standard of judgment you use for others, the same will be measured to you. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Men will give into your bosom. You will reap intimate relationships. You will reap oneness in relationships. You will reap security in relationships if you sow accurately relationally. Now, I will demonstrate to you, I wish, we could, I wish we had the whole day today, to demonstrate this principle. That even sometimes, if you apply this principle financially, when you give financially, one of the blessings of financial giving is not just a financial harvest. It's a relational harvest. I'll prove that to you. I have found the most givers, or people that give the most, are the most relationally enriched. For, for long, I couldn't understand it. Why are those who give the most are the most relationally blessed? Men will give into your, everyone say your bosom. Your bosom. 
There's even a verse, I don't know if can find it. I'm not sure if I have it in my notes. Oh, yeah. He, uh, Proverbs 18 and verse 16. A man's gift makes, everyone say room. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before, before great men. You know, back, way back, we used to quote this verse growing up as youth. And I always thought it's my gift of the Holy Ghost. My gift of prophecy will make room for me. My gift of teaching will make room for me and bring me before great men. Two weeks ago, I studied this verse intently. And you know this word gift here means that which is given out from you to another. It's not your Holy Spirit gift. It's your capacity to give. Everyone say greatness. Come on, get a revelation of this church. Say greatness. You're going to be brought for before great men. By your disposition of how you've given. Somehow God will lead you to be brought before great men. Your gift makes room for you. Even who was it? Jacob? Remember when he reconciled with his brother Esau? What did he send ahead? What did he send ahead? He sent a seed. His seed went before him. And he reconciled with his brother. His gift made. This is not, you can't buy your way into things, right? I'm not talking about that. That's a carnal manipulative way. Don't think money buyeth favor. Not to, that's wicked. This is an honest, sincere motivation. When we give with love prompting us. God, listen carefully. I, I submit to you. I just feel the Holy Spirit speak here. God will order your steps and bring you into the right context. Another word for great men here is right context. If you want to paraphrase this verse, say, Lord, my giving is going to go ahead, break down some walls, and bring me into a room full with the right context. It's going to, my gift will bring me before great men. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. I prophesy over you. I, I declare the word of the Lord says to you that if you take this word, if you obey me, God says, I will orchestrate your meetings with right people at the right time in the right places that will bring you breakthrough simply because of the diligence, the purity of motivation with which you have sown diligently over the years and continue to do so. The Lord says, little do you know, my son, my daughter, your gift has already gone ahead of you to make room. It has made room for you in areas where you cannot get through. Certain rooms, the Lord says, has been closed to you by your own estimate. But the Lord says, little do you know what power your gift has, has, has secured for you in the realm of the Spirit. It has gone ahead for you to make way for you in ways and in rooms that you could not gain access. I speak access to those rooms, access to those relationships in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Do you know Cornelius gave? Jesus said, or rather Peter said to him, two things, your giving and your prayers have come up before God as a? Not so. Guess what room was waiting for this man to be open? He was an Italian centurion, non-Jew, not part of the covenants, barred from accessing the rich heritage associated with the Hebrew people, Gentile. Outcast by Jewish standards. 
a dog by Jewish mindset. On the fringes, far removed from playing something central to the plan of God. And the Bible says, this man gave constantly to the poor. And he prayed much. Two things you must master. Giving much and praying much. Say, tell someone, give much and pray much. Give much, pray much. In fact, Jesus even said fast much. If you study Matthew 6, Jesus spoke about three things at the start. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Master those three things. Cornelius did these three. And do you know, God had to speak to an apostle called Peter. Give Peter a vision of unclean animals. Arise, Peter, kill him. Eat. He said, no, I can't kill and eat unclean animals by Jewish dietary laws. We're not allowed to eat pork. Leviticus barred him. Theological understanding barred him from obeying God. In the vision appeared three times. What did God say to Peter? How dare you call unclean that which I have? The Jewish mind in Peter is still saying Gentiles are unclean. They are pigs. They are dogs. He has a Gentile honoring God with his gifts. God wants to use this apostle to bring salvation to that Gentile. But this apostle has got racial prejudice in his mind. Peter always had this problem, by the way. Always. Even as late as Galatians 2. Read it. He refused to sit with the Gentiles. This is early days in Acts. And God says to him, how dare you call unclean that which I have sanctified as? As clean. He got up perplexed by the vision. Didn't know what it means. The Bible says, while he thought on the vision. A knock downstairs. The message comes, behold, three men are downstairs looking for you. He comes down, where are you guys from? From the house of the unclean dog. The unclean Gentile. The pig by Jewish standards. The unclean man, Cornelius. The Italian centurion soldier. I'm just paraphrasing. Because sometimes we don't understand the force of the language as it's used in scripture. So, then Peter suddenly understood, wow, God had to deal with my mentality. And the Bible says, Peter went with them to Cornelius' house. When he was there, he spoke to them concerning Christ. And while he was speaking, Holy Ghost fell, baptizes them in the Holy Ghost. They speak in tongues. They were in the meeting. They were all baptized in water. And Cornelius and his house, everyone say and his house, is saved. That's not just the salvation of a house. Because he, by definition, is a leader of at least a hundred soldiers, all of whom have influence under them. When this man gets saved, it's a doorway into Italy. Into Caesar's territory. How did he get there? His gift made room for him. You sometimes do not know what processes you are setting up for yourself in the future by your consistent faithful giving. I didn't plan to share this. I need to go back to the seed thing here. But listen carefully. This is the word of the Lord. I pray Cornelius connections. Connections with key in key. These, you know, Cornelius salvation is not an ordinary salvation. That's a key man that comes in. And then he, by his salvation... He's able, God is able to use him in his realm of influence to influence a whole, whole sphere. I pray the connection you are looking for. I really sense the Lord here. The connection that you are looking for. 
will come your way. Do you know, I don't want you to be discouraged. Remember I said to you, our reward is at hand. I, I say this to you by the Spirit, our reward is at hand. One of the biggest uh, obstacles, I'll share more in the next session with this, obstacles to entering your harvest. One of the biggest obstacles is, once you've sown, you become weary. Galatians 6, let's look at it again. Galatians 6, 7. I haven't, can I just quickly go back to Luke 6? <laughs> We've been all over the place. So, you know, remember Kalpos? Everyone say Kalpos. Men will give into your bosom. So can you expect key relationships? I'm trusting God. You know, a key, a key thing for our church is uh, love, oneness, and reconciliation. Yeah? And there's a, there's a powerful parallel between our faithfulness in giving and our capacity to reconcile men relationally. And I'm saying when we master giving, God's going to give us some of the most profound relationships characterized by oneness, love, security. Everyone say security. How many of you are, are tired of committing yourselves to a friendship relationship that is going nowhere fast or that's abusive or parasitic? And you're not the parasite. The other person is. And they're leeching and bleeding you. And never come to the place of maturity? Or how many of you are tired of committing yourself to a quality of relationship in friendship that you are faithful, you are committed, but they prove the betrayer? Huh? I want to encourage you, don't stop sowing friendship. Don't stop sowing friendship. I discovered through some study, kolpos is also a descriptor of oriental garments used in Arabic nations or oriental nations. It's like, uh, what are the Indian ladies? Like a sari kind of a thing. You know, with, with like row your robe yourself. And it was, it was common by use, but it was unisex by male and female. Do some study about this. It's a powerful, makes for interesting study. But primarily used by traders, and they would robe themselves and use the kolpos, which was the, the vacuum created by numerous folds rolled over the chest area to create a cavity in front. It served the purposes of our modern-day pockets. So as to store stuff in. So if, if you understand that, I think Mark explained it well. There are, everyone say four results. It says men, and you know God uses men, it says men will give into your bosom. You know when, when, when providence reigns, uh, things don't just drop from the sky. God uses men to bless men. Eh? God will raise someone up to bless you, to act favorably on on your men will give into your into your bosom now there's four things everyone say good measure say press down shaking together running over says men give into your corpus your bosom right i think mark explained it well a good measure literally means constitutionally good something which is well balanced uh, I discovered in the Kolpos the way they packed the goods in front of this deep cavity in one man as he journeyed as a merchant from one town to the other had to be packed well in a well-balanced fashion lest things fall out. <laughs> so it's constitu constitutionally good, well-balanced, right, or evenly proportioned, 
Press down means, kind of like Mark said, compact together. I like the image you use of the basket. You know, if you pour stuff into that basket or your car pass, you push it down together. And then where it says shaken together, right? Sais, salio is the Greek. It means to violently shake to and fro so as to remove any vacant spaces. So the things settle. So more room is created for more. Right? And then running over, hupa kuchunnao is the Greek. Right? Don't attempt to pronounce that. It simply means to, to run over. To run over. Now, I'm expecting that financially. I'm expecting that relationally too. Right? The measure God gives to me will be well balanced, evenly proportioned, so that I have the capacity to hold it and steward it. Nothing lost, financially or relationally. It will be good measure. God will compact it, press it down. And I know how I interpret the shaking. I think the shaking is a suffering. A shaking. Sometimes your shaking is simply to prepare room for more infilling. Everyone do this? <laughs> God, God needs to shake it up a bit. Shake it up. Some of you have sowing and you're experiencing your shaking up right now. God is just preparing you to receive more room until your cup overflows. Until there's more than enough. Everyone say good measure. Say shaken together. And say running over. Now, you can get that by your standard. All this is dependent on, everyone say, your standard. It says, by your standard of measure, by your standard, this will happen measurably or commensurately, equivalently, in equal ratio proportion to you. So hence the scriptures are true when they say, if a man sows sparingly, how shall he reap? Come on, how shall you reap? You will reap also sparingly. You can, you can argue, Randolph, why am I not? Why is my harvest small? Well, your harvest is small because your sowing is sparing. Whenever you are challenged to sow, sow the more and not the less. If there's ever contention between you and your wife, what shall we sow? Rather go for the bigger. We have a disagreement. If we feel the need to sow to someone or, and let's say, she'd ask me, what were you thinking of sowing? I would say X amount. She said, oh, I was thinking this amount. We have already agreed. There'll be no argument. Whoever has said the higher, that goes. Because why, why, why do we want to sow? Or how do we want to sow? We want to sow generously, not so. Right? Where's that scripture where it says, the generous man will be blessed. And he who waters shall of himself be watered. It's in Proverbs somewhere. The generous man will be blessed. You rather err on the side of generosity than on the side of sowing um, sparsely. Right? So this is by the measure that you sow. Now just quickly go to Genesis to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse, let's go to verse 8, verse 9, sorry. You see, he's talking about the whole context of be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever. Everyone say whatever. Now, whatever includes finances, so we have biblical legal license to apply this to finances. Which whatever means whatever. 
Let, and in context, he says, let us not lose heart. The biggest thing, the biggest obstacle to entering the harvest for which you've sown seed is losing heart. For let us not lose heart, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Two things. Everyone say losing heart and growing weary. Two things you must be careful of. Weariness is the Greek ekakio, which literally means, watch, to be spiritless. Have you ever seen a spiritless person? Literally means a person is dead, right? The body without the spirit is dead. But it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a symbolic application. If I say you are spiritless, it means you are acting, but no spirit behind it. No life, because the spirit gives the Spirit gives life. There's no life. So spiritless or wearied out. Losing heart is a clio, which literally means to be exhausted and then to relax or to be enfeebled. Now, tell your neighbor, do not give up. The worst thing what you can do is when you've sown and you haven't seen as yet the harvest for which you've sown. And while you wait is to give up while you wait to give up while you wait in those in that the season between seed time and harvest time two things you must be very aware of the intention of the enemy to discourage you the intention of the enemy to bring weariness or feebleness in the context of sowing and reaping paul says do not lose heart in doing good for in now the word for due time due year is idios Greek word, idios, not idiot, idios. And you know what idios means? You, I, I double-checked this because I thought I'm seeing the wrong thing in this dictionary. I saw it in Spira Zodias. I went to James Strong. I checked it there. I went to Thayer. I checked Thayer's dictionary. I went to W.E. Vines. I checked all the understandings of what is idios. They all say the same thing. They say a time uniquely belonging to one's own. It's a powerful concept. As pertaining uniquely to a private individual. If it's your due time, it's your time. Belongs to you. Say due time. The point is, you can be in, other. by the way, the word time here is kairos. There are two Greek words for time. One is chronos and? Kairos, chronos, from which we get a, the English word chronometer, a watch is a chronometer. Chronology measures the passage of actual time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, millennia. Right? The passage of time as we know it is chronos. God's not using, there's another concept of time called kairos which strictly in the Greek is an opportune time. Everyone say opportune time. So in Kronos, you can have a Kairos. I can be on, what's the day today? On the 12th of November at 2 minutes to 11. I'm standing in Durban, South Africa, on this location of the planet, in a particular chronology of time called the 12th 
of November at about 11 a.m. this morning. But I can be in Kronos, but be in a time capsule called Kairos, say opportune time. The thing about Kairos is this, you must understand, watch. In any, it's God's time. It's a Greek concept of time, descriptive of God. When he comes, he invades Kronos with Kairos because in Kronos, his Kairos, watch this, has got certain preordained events to take place in that segment of time. Everyone say certain preordained events. Right? Certain things happen at certain times because God ordained it so. So you better make certain, watch, in a time in Kronos in which you stand, you stand in Kairos because in that segment, certain things should be taking place uniquely to you because it's your time, it's your idios time. At that time, the greatest, according to this passage, the greatest obstacle to your entry into that is two things. You've lose, you've lost heart. You've become spiritless. And you've become exhausted, weary, and almost about to throw in the towel. I want to declare over this congregation, it's our idios. Bible says, for Christ died in due time. It was his time. Psalm 1 verse 3, quickly, old King James. Psalm 1 verse 3, you know, it says, the man planted by the streams of water, he loves God's word. He will be like a, we sung it this morning, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringeth forth fruit in, come on, say it, his season. It's uniquely pertaining to him. Your season. We often don't focus on these things, eh? It's not just in season. I love this. It's in his season. Tell someone this is your time. Do not become weary. No, not now. No, not now. Just quickly, Proverbs. I've got three sets of notes here all over the place. Proverbs 10 verse 5. Watch. Proverbs 10 verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. The worst thing for you to do is to be in a season called harvest, but you are fast asleep. You've become, you know, when Jesus asked the three, pray with me, James, Peter, and John, remember in the garden? He came to them and he found them what? So sleep, there are so many applications of sleep. I won't go through all of them now. But one of the symbolic applications of sleep is prayerlessness and spiritual indifference. Everyone say spiritual indifference. What, 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 what great thing happened after that prayer meeting? What great thing? Who came into the garden? Judas, to do what? Betray him, hand him over to Roman authorities. A domino effect. It's like Judas pressed the first domino. Click. Trial after trial, Golgotha, three days in the, in, in, under the earth, third day rise again, appear before 500, 40, day, 40 days, and go back to his father, ascended. Watch. And just before that whole domino thing, what does he say to these? Pray with me. I guarantee you, if the disciples knew the successive series of events that are just about to play themselves out 
when he came back the third time finding them sleeping, you know what Jesus said? Their eyes were heavy. See, our guys were tired, right? Exhausted. You know what Jesus said to him? Sleep on. Because he would betray his at hand. It's like nothing you can do about anything now. I'm, I'm saying to you, when <laughs> he who sleeps, <laughs> just bump your neighbor and say, hey, now is not the time to sleep. I'm talking spiritually. Prayerlessness must not be now. Don't think prayerlessness is an indication of sleep. A lack of vigilance. A lack of awareness. Uh, so many applications of this verse which I'll talk to, to later. But do not become weary. Don't sleep in this time. But my mind is focused on the domino effect that's ahead of us. So we'll not be weary in well-doing. Oh, by the way, do you know the context of Galatians says? If you read down after that Galatians 6, just go back there, Luke. Galatians 6, what was 8 or 9? I want to, some of you have been doing good, but you lost heart. Maybe because the person is ungrateful or you're not seeing the reward. Let us not do heart in doing good. You know, our beggars that come to us regularly. I don't know what happened to them because they're now more regular than ever before. Before this come like once a week, sometimes once every two weeks. And he says to the session. <laughs> now it's like awesome. Every day we are in that gate of our rattle. And they're so like sometimes irritating. I say that with respect. Because they don't knock like other. They rattle that gate. It's like a dis- that major crisis happening on the road. And you come there, hi, how's me? <laughs> you know. But you know, at times... My flesh say, hey, I'm irritated by the way you rattle my gate. <sighs> Angry. <sighs> but, okay, I'll do good. <laughs> Tell you never do good. <laughs> what does the Bible, we did the whole thing about trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land. Amen. Right? Now, go on, verse 10. So then, while we have oppo. Opportunity, let us do good to, this is in the same context of sowing and reaping. Do good to all people, especially those who are of the, especially those in the church. And not those, don't just think gate ministries, because gate ministries is not the household of faith. This is a small expression of that. The church is the broad church. Your doing good should be to other believers too. And to non-believers. But he said, priority on those in the house. What does the word especially mean? Come on, yeah? What does the word especially mean? It means priority to those in the house. Before you want to be, be gracious to others outside of the house. Okay? One last passage. Please, I've got to get this out. Please be with me. got to get this out for your benefit. For your benefit. There's an amazing text in Psalm 126. There are 15 psalms called Songs of Ascent. They are Psalms 120. So if you count 15 psalms from 120 to Psalm 134, that's 15 psalms. These 15 psalms were sung whenever Israel took three journeys at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. No matter where you lived in Canaan and Israel, you all made your way to Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, Zion, is the second highest peak in natural Israel. The highest mountain range is Hebron. Second is Jerusalem. The point is, whether you're going to Hebron or Jerusalem, from any place in Israel, it would be an upward journey. Everyone say going up. So you understand verses like where it says, let us go up to the mount of the Lord, or the house of the Lord, to the house of the God of, of Jacob. So whenever these songs, because psalms were songs. Psalms were not meant to be read. Psalms were meant to be sung. The, the psalmist penned 15 songs specifically designed for the pilgrimages to be sung while they made their three trips from wherever they were to celebrate three feasts every year. And remember what I told you. God said to them, nobody comes before me empty-handed. We did this in our financial seminar. No one comes before me empty-handed. To the average Hebrew or Jew, this was very important. And they prepared for this. I'll show you how they prepared for this when we start to talk about tithing. There's a particular tithe where this is, they will eat at the feast. We'll talk about that later. It was very costly. So these guys traveled to Jerusalem three times a year, right? A place of, watch, you leave your individuality and you become nation conscious. There's corporality. There's a specific blessing, engaging with the high priest, receiving instruction, then going back after six days or seven days, depending on the length of certain feasts. Right? So, why, what do songs do to you, by the way? Why write songs that you must sing as you're going up? Because you know, the nature of journeying can be discouraging. So to encourage yourself along the way, what you do? Sing, song. I watched a documentary of Mr. Mandela the other day. Uh, it was a musical thing of, it was a musical history of certain songs. And the kinds of songs they sang on Robben Island. How it kept faith alive, it kept vision alive. Songs are powerful things. So this song, everyone say 126. They're saying as we sing, we're going up. Watch, I'm going to close with this. You must get this. This is going to bless you guys. Please, this usually encourage me, and I want you to be equally encouraged too. Remember, this is a song. I don't know what the beat was or the chords. They were singing this stuff. It was in the mind, in the heart, in the mouth. They're singing. They're saying, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Child, you never start dreaming again. So, they, you know, captives, they're thinking of what captivity here? Babylonian captivity. How long were they, they in Babylon? Come on, how many years? 70 years in Babylonian captivity. So God says, as you make your way to the feast, remember how I brought you out. Right? So, they say, because in Babylon, we captive, we can do nothing, no vision, no purpose, no doing nothing for God, in one place confined. But when we came out... We started to dream again. And I submit to you, church, start to dream. For some of you, you've been in captivity for too long. That business you thought of doing, start to do it in 2018. Start to dream again. I'm dreaming like crazy. Even physically. Natural dreams. My dream life has been awakened. And it's wonderful. Because it's God. Hallelujah. I'm not an old man. 
Because the Bible says it gives old men dreams and young men visions. I think that's old men as in mature. <laughs> okay. However you want to read the scriptures. Watch. Come on, I believe this. Next year, we're going to do some very practical things. I want to encourage you to activate your businesses. All the theory we learned must now be earthed. Do something. Tell you never do something. Start to dream again. I'm dreaming now. And it's not nightmares. I know some of you are dreaming about nightmares, right? But no more nightmares. Watch, quickly. Okay, I need to go fast. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. When we came out of Babylon, wow, what ecstasy. They said among the nations about us, the Lord has done great things for them. This will be your testimony too. See what God has done for His people. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Restore our captivity. Oh Lord, don't read that as take us back to captivity. That's not what it means. Right? That means restore everything we've lost in our captivity. Right? As streams in the south. The south there in the Hebrew is Negev, which is a desert. This verse should read, Restore us like you are able to bring streams of living water in a desert. What's impossible, do the impossible. How many of you have got impossible situations now? It's like desert and the fact that streams will come from there is the height of impossibility for you right now. I submit to you, the Lord says to you, streams are going to start to flow in those areas right for you where you think are deserty. Right? Trust God. Tell someone, trust God. Come on, tell someone, trust God. Don't be weary. Not now. Trust God. I mean, we're trusting God for huge things right now. And I know I'm going to see rivers in the desert. I refuse to be discouraged. I will not lose heart. I will not let the absence of certain harvests um, prevent me from consistently sowing. No. Because I know the principle. Verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap how? With joyful shouting. Sometimes you do sow with tears. But it's not this is not the same as what Paul says, he who sows, he who gives, must not give grudgingly or, what does it say? Of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That sometimes you give willingly, you give in love, you give because you want to, you love to, but it's painful in the light of all the needs that you are facing, but you are still obedient. So there's a degree of pain and you're sowing. With tears. But I want to encourage you. You will reap with joy. If you've sown with sacrificial pain. You will reap with joy. It has to come for you. The next verse says this. Watch. He who goes to and fro weeping. But carrying his bag of seed. Shall indeed again come with a shout of joy. Bringing in the sheaves. Sheaves or bales of wheat in the agricultural terms that have been collected from the harvest field. Carrying your bag, but now you're carrying your sheaves. Whilst carrying your bag of seed, you went about sowing seed, weeping while doing it. But the Lord says, now sheave time. Harvest time has come for you. Do not be weary in well-doing. Remember we did this whole thing, Abraham, 
pray for Abimelech's wife to break her barrenness. While his own wife Sarah was, was barren. He did not allow his faith to be moved. He, did, he continued to do consistently good. So I want to encourage you. Those who sow in tears. I know some of you this month are going to sow with tears. Not, you're not sowing unwillingly. You're sowing joyfully, but painfully. To be obedient to God. But the Lord says, you will doubtless, like King James says, doubtless he will come again. Bringing in the sheaves with him. Tell your neighbor to not be weary in well-doing. Tell them for in due time, you will reap if you do not fail. If you do not become weary. Everyone say due time. Come on, say it again, due time. For some of you it's overdue, right? But it's due time. <laughs> I don't know why this, this message came out vastly different to what I anticipated. All right? But little bits and pieces from three different studies that I've been working on. But I want to encourage you, do not be weary. You know, remember Jesus said in John 4, do not say there are three months to, to harvest. Right? They're not four months. Do not say they had four months to, to harvest. For the fields already. They were, they were in a point in time, they were literally in the third month, if you understand. Remember three feasts, one, three, seven? Pentecost, uh, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. So if he says there are still three months, what feast is he standing in? Pentecost. And if he says, do not say there are four months, so from the third month to the seventh month will be Tabernacles. So he said to the disciples, do not say there are yet still four months to, to harvest. For I say to you now in the third month, Lift up your eyes. See, for the fields already, the worst thing about living in a time called harvest is to be in it and not know it. He, the, the disciples were living in a postponement mindset. It's still yet four months. Some of you are saying, 2017 is about to wrap itself up. Maybe nothing much has happened this year. We resign ourselves with hope to 2018. Hallelujah. No, 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 brethren. I'm saying to you, the year is not yet up. Listen to the principle I've just mentioned. You can be living in a realm called harvest and not know it. Jesus said, do not say this yet. They were still living four months in the future. Jesus said, that four months is now. Lift up your eyes and be aware of the profound moment that you are in. Be aware of the profound moment that you are in now. If the disciples knew what was going to happen to Jesus, they would not have slept. The worst thing for a son is to be asleep in a season of his greatest harvest. Tell your neighbor, bring your sickle out. The mindset and disposition you must have now is sickle time. You've sown the seed, now reap the, the harvest. I speak prophetically as I speak this message to us all. Your harvest time, the great reward has come upon us now. Amen. Let's pray. Lift up your hands. He who sows in tears shall reap with joy. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Therefore, let us not be weary, brethren, in doing good or well-doing. For in due season, we will reap if we faint not. If we don't lose heart, become spiritless and be discouraged. Father, open up our eyes, I pray. I pray for understanding.
open eyes to see the profound period in Kronos that we are in. To see the Kairos and its opportunity that we are in right now in Jesus' name. Help us not to be asleep in this time. Help us not to be engaged in the unfruitful works of darkness. For your word says, they that sleep, sleep in the night. And we are not of the night, but we are children of the day. Help us to be pure, holy, circumspect, sexually pure, full of integrity, full of light, rectitude, right living, prayerful, faithful, looking forward to our harvest. We refuse to sleep. We will not sleep in this time, but we want to be vigilant. We will not be spiritually indifferent, but we will be vigilant. And so, Father, I pray for every couple, for every family, for every household represented here, and even those that are not here this morning. I pray no one will miss the timing, the kairos of their visitation. When you break forth powerful things upon us, that God, you by faith, will make us aware that the season of reward has come upon us. I, I again pray for valid, powerful connections with key people. Our gifts will make room for us and bring us before great men in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Father, come on, lift your hands. I'm going to pray a special prayer. I pray, God, multiply the seed sown. Give increased capacity to everyone to sow more than you've, they've ever sown before. We do this because like Lord Jesus, you are the seed. Your word is a seed. We too are a seed. And when we give financial seed, we are just giving as part of a broad continuum of this truth of which we have become an extension of by the obedience of our giving. Help us not to be weary. I thank you that due season will come upon us. For many of us have sown in tears, but we will reap with great joy. We went with our bag of seeds, weeping. But doubtless we declare we will come again, bringing in the sheaves. Make us dream again. Take away the loss of the captivity, the struggle that many of us had, that even doused ambition that is birthed in you, that even quenched our vision, our zest for life, cause us to be spiritless. Give us the energy. Give us the zeal back again. I impart that to you, church, by faith in the name of the Lord Jesus. I challenge you, I command you by the, the authority of the Lord Jesus. He says to you, my son, my daughter, dream again. Dream again. I will birth it in you. It will be of me. Pursue it. Go for it without fear and unbelief. Pursue it, whatever is in your heart, do it, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen.